Welcome to Let's Get Information. My name is Alexa Silvaggio, and this, my friends, is a podcast for seekers, entrepreneurs, spirit junkies, and wellness lovers of all kinds. Each week, we'll be offering you inspiration, education, and co-creation that will help you cultivate an epic life. So let's dig deep, lift up, and thrive through these personal stories, tips, how-tos, and most importantly, great, rich truth. Yes, Mark Groves, I am so, so grateful to have you on the show. Thank you for being on Let's Get Information. I'm so excited to be here after a long, um, I guess I would call it a, a courtship of sorts on Instagram. Yeah. We finally yeah. made we finally made it into not the real world, this digital world. Yeah, but I have a feeling uh, I'm going to have to come to Vancouver for the extraordinary event that you are hosting, which I want to hear all about. Um, because I think I need to meet you in the flesh now. We've only talked for like 10 minutes, but I'm, I'm in. <laughs> well, I'm excited for you to make it here. <laughs> awesome. So um, for those of you that don't know who Mark is, A, you've been living under a rock, and B, <laughs> you're welcome because he's an extraordinary, extraordinary human. Um, Mark, will you tell everyone just a little bit about what you do, about what your story is, and why you're creating love all over the place? Man, I'm I'm 39 now, so my story is getting longer. Um, <laughs> How long do we got? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, yeah, I have an Instagram called Create the Love. I write about relationships and connection, and I speak about them and do that in businesses too. So, my story has sort of been, um, you know, an interesting one where I thought the dots connected a certain way; they keep connecting differently, which is the beautiful part of the human experience of. Yeah of just like keep seeing different parts. I sort of like, I, I joke a lot that um, the onion, when I uncover new layers, it doesn't get smaller. It just stays fucking bigger. It's just like, <laughs> like new layer. Fuck. Yeah. Um, Damn. <laughs> yeah. So when I was in my early twenties, I did a, a undergraduate degree in um, finance. And I sort of did that because that was the practical thing to do. You can't make money doing art or psychology or something like that. Right. Right. right I thought so. I ended up in sales actually in the hospitals and I used to study things like how to win friends and influence people. And I have, mm -hmm. a, I have still have the book, how to get anyone to do anything. So yeah. it was very much about like language of manipulation and sales and how do I change people's behavior. Mm -hmm. And when I was 27, I had an engagement that ended and I looked at my life and I sort of thought like, how did I get so disconnected from myself and how come I can communicate on a high level when it comes to anything but my feelings? Oof. And yeah. And I was like, I've mastered relationship in some sense because in sales I was, you know, I was incredibly successful at it. Great. But I was so disconnected from who I was. I didn't know that till my engagement ended actually till my engagement started really. Mm. And I was like, there's more to this. Like I'm not, there's a piece that's not fitting. And I, when my engagement ended, I was really pissed off sort of at the world in some sense in sure. that I grew up Catholic upbringing. I was taught, you know, get married by 25 to 27, have kids by 30. And I was 27. So it was like the perfect, I yeah. was there. You were playing and when I find, Yeah. When I finally met the moment, it didn't feel the way I thought it was supposed to feel. And, 
and that was a big awakening for me, a, a beginning of, of uh, recognizing my disconnection. And that was the journey that sort of brought me to where I am today of, of wow, I'm going to understand the science of relationships. I'm going to pick that shit apart. And then I also, because I was very research-based then, and then I also really wanted to understand um, I'd never read really like, what's my purpose? <laughs> you know, I never even sure. thought about that. And then I read um, man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. Life changer. Yeah. And that was the first time I ever thought that. And, and so that really was this part of, well, I felt no one was telling the truth about relationships that they are challenging, that they do. end, that, that, and the endings are okay. And that divorce is actually really common and marriage is hard to keep together. And, yeah. and our, even our concept of marriage is not educated. It's, you know, I think it's ironic that when you get married, at least in the Catholic church, you get counseled about marriage by people who've never been in relationship. Yeah. Took you know, up. theoretically, although they have lots of secret relationships. So right. that again, right. Was another part where I was like, we don't tell the fucking truth. Mm. And I just want to get out there and, and, and sort of speak to who I have been, yeah. you know, like give people access to information that I feel is in a lot of ways not shared. So, uh, well, you keep it so, so real, which is so refreshing to see on Instagram. Um, and just in life, just by talking to you, you know, I'm a, a pretty, uh, empathic, intuitive human. And just talking to you for these few moments, I'm like, Oh, you're so easy to be around. <laughs> and that's just like a comfort in your own skin situation. And, and that's really refreshing and beautiful. And it's really amazing how it's true when you're kind of taught this one thing and you don't look to the right or the left and you just keep going on the trajectory that was, that will behoove you in air quotes. You know, it's like you wake up one day and you're like, Oh shit, I have to like actually get to know this human that I constantly am keeping company with myself. Mm. And that is, that's huge. And, um, you know, I find for myself in relationships, like the more grounded I am in myself, the more authentically I can show up in any relationship, whether that's like a friendship or a romantic relationship or what have you. Um, so just thank you for sharing what you're sharing. Cause it's really, really imperative because no, it's been this beautiful journey of being able to, I sort of think of my work as being this place where I get to excise or like an exorcism of my shame. Yeah. That, that I get to share all the shit that I've done poorly, what I've learned up until now about those things that I continue to learn. And, you know, I think there, what you said about being able to be in relationship with other by being in relationship with self, because often, you know, our relationships end up being the place we sort of use as a distraction from ourselves. Mm, totally. You know, we, we chase love to avoid really giving ourselves company. And the more we journey within, the more we learn the nuances of our beliefs and all these things, we're able to then bring that, that fuller, more authentic version. And, and really what happens then is, is we're more present. And, you know, in the research, it's shown that when you're in flow states, you know, which anyone could sort of think of like, it's easy to get in a flow yeah. doing surfing or, you know, I, I think one of the best yeah. and, uh, ways of defining it is when an hour goes by and it feels like five minutes. Mm, and, yeah. And, and it's shown that the prefrontal cortex actually shuts down when we're in flow states and the prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain that is in charge of creating ourself, like who we think we are 
who we think we need to be. And so it shows you that when you're in flow, when you're at one with the music, you are not creating a construct who you think you need to be. So the more authentic and flow you can get in just your regular life, the more present you can be to everything. Wow. And it becomes this really, and, and when I remember when I learned that, I was like, that is so true that mm-hmm. when you're sitting looking at the mountains or the ocean, there's something greater than you because you're actually there. Mm-hmm. Totally. And what, a, what a gift to give someone you're in relationship with, whether it's your friend or your partner, your parents, it doesn't really matter, or your children. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I think that's part of the reason that like I find myself sharing so much of your stuff and um, and really like connecting to it because A, like you, like we're the wounded healer is like the best type of healer. Like you're saying, like you're like kind of purging all your own stuff by teaching. <laughs> yeah. Right? Purging. I like that. Uh, it's a hundred percent. And I completely get that. And B, um, like that. Oh God, I had, I had a B. I had a B. Um, <laughs> damn it. What was the B? I'll get to it. But regardless, um, the flow state, Oh, cause the flow state, the flow state, that's what we're trying to get in yoga as well. Mm-hmm. Is that like absolute connection and presence? One of my teachers, Elena Brower, says that your presence is your currency. Like that's actually what you have to give. Like whether it's your mm-hmm. job or whether it's your soulmate or whether it's yourself, like your presence, your availability, that's actually what you have to offer. Like everything else, you know, you might actually not run out of money. You actually might not run out of time. <laughs> right. You will for sure run out of time. We all run out of time. Yeah, it's such a, I mean, I feel like this experience continues, and this might shift if I do a podcast in a year, I might change this. That's why I think there's a couple of things here. One is that I remember hearing Russell Brand say, always allow your identity to be something that's fluid. Oof. And and that for me has been, it it was such a great way to articulate. The more flexible we are in who we are, the more um, we don't have to cling anything you know and you see this a lot in and i'll come back to religion a lot because i think it's so relatable for people yeah the more we fear something being wrong the more we cling to it tightly Mm. so if we fear our belief being wrong then we'll cling tighter to it to defend it because our identity forms beyond you know from that like i am a christian i am whatever it doesn't really matter yeah um but then the other sort of part that's at battle, I think, at least in my experience, is that we're constantly at battle with what our evolutionary drives want us to do versus what is actually good for us. Right, right. And really, I think that's the construct of, of consciousness or awakening or whatever word you want to use. Yeah. Awareness, emotional intelligence. I, I think they're really all very similar things. And one way to really understand it, I think, from a visceral perspective for people, but to relate it to is, is when you're in a conversation with a partner and you're in conflict, your response is often not going to be equivalent to the experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like we might get reactive and that reactivity causes disconnection. But our reactivity is not connective, right? Like if you say, Mark, I don't like what you did last night or I don't like how you spoke to me. And I say, well, you speak like that to me sometimes. Right. You know, I get defensive and I, I've now caused disconnection as opposed to if I just said, hey, there's, there's actually a lot of truth in what you're saying. Yeah. My body can be reactive in that moment, but what I'm choosing is a connective behavior. 
something that bridges a place where maybe I've never had a bridge. Yeah. And a way for people to viscerally understand what I'm saying, and yoga obviously gives you a really great access point to understanding your body and your reactivity, mm-hmm. is take a cold shower. You know, go from a hot shower and at the end, turn on the cold. Yes. And you'll see that your body wants you to fucking get the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah. But you're not actually in any form of peril. You're not going to die. You're not going to, you know. Yeah. But your reaction is one. And I remember Tony Robbins said, uh, the reason I take cold showers is I don't negotiate with my fear. Obsessed. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. So that actually got me where I used to like do the, you know, 15, 20 seconds in the cold shower. I've actually been doing 30 seconds a minute. I'm not going to say I go to 10 minutes, but I do it. And I hold it because I, I think to myself, the feeling I have in my body is not actually accurate. Yes. Absolutely. And that's, and it's the same exact principles that we're teaching on the yoga mat or on the meditation pillow. It's like, can you allow the sensation to be there without reacting to it? Can you be in this uncomfortable position for this amount of time? No, you're not going to die from warrior two. Your leg is trembling, totally get it, but you're just going to sit here. You know, it's like the whole lotus blooms in the mud thing, like the perfectly yeah. lotus blooms in the mud. Like it's gross in the mud, but like it's perfect, you know? And we're all in the mud in some sense. And you know, like, Oh yeah. There's always that part of discomfort that we normally stop in. And I relate a lot. The reason I speak about romantic relationships so much and they're sort of my gateway to people is that they're the most common experience of rock bottom. Yes. And they're always a magnifying glass to our bullshit. Because if you have bad boundaries in life, you will have fucking horrible boundaries in relationship. You know, and and, and often right <laughs> well, often what we do is is we go to areas of perfection that cause distraction from the, our real stuff. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, and, and you know, you spoke of of being a recovering um anorexic, right? Yeah that we go to these places where I'm going to have the perfect body or I'm going to have, and, and addictions are a great way to, to see where our distractions are yeah. or, or any unhealthy relationship to anything yeah. or even a workaholic. Well, you'll have the appearance of having the best job and you're so successful, but if your relationships are in shambles, we know you're hiding something, right? Absolutely. You know, it's kind of like if someone is a perfectionist, there's a curse because whenever you get the thing, you'll always just shift what you need. <laughs> you know, you yeah. never, ever get the thing. Yeah. Just like as someone who's a fitness addict, and I think we've really socially made that acceptable. Yeah. Because what do you get? You get likes and you get comments on your ass and you get all these really wonderful things. And don't get me wrong, a body is often a good expression of great boundaries, but it can also be the expression of um, obsession. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've certainly walked that line. Oh man, me too. Like life, mostly lifelong, um, constant negotiation with food. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Well, it's such a tough one to find balance with too, because you know, it's not like alcohol where it's like you can live without it. (laughs) You know, you actually (laughs) have to find a gentle truth. Wait, wait, aren't there people who live off sunlight? Yeah, this true. Are they breathitarians? Breathitarians, yeah. Go to the Himalayas, you will meet I don't understand how they do that. And I don't want to because 
breatharian does not come in chocolate flavor. Yeah, it's not delicious. I'm not interested. Not interested. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I want to ask you about about relationships and the first question that comes to my mind is I feel like we're in this time that is like really disconnected. And I feel like having a connection, a true authentic connection with someone is actually pretty hard to come by. And I don't know if maybe we've just kind of glamorized the past and how it was easy to, you know, baby boomers finding people and connecting, whatever. I don't think that was necessarily healthy either. Um, But why do you think we're so disconnected? Well, I mean, I think we're in a total restructuring of relationship. You know, we're baby boomers. We're certainly not just finding people. And although that might be our experience, because often the language of people from, and I'm going to generalize people from older generations. So let's just say people 50 and up, um, which I'm not so far away from anymore. But um I think what's happened is, you know, you take like Gen X, Gen Y, Millennial, and I know all those ranges of ages are, they're basically under 45, under 40. Um, There's a desire to choose relationship from a space of love. And, you know, when you look at previous generations, their divorce actually was illegal until the late 60s. It had to be approved, at least in Canada, by a provincial body, which is our, would be your state body. So that's why you saw a huge spike in divorce um, in North America in the late 60s is because you had divorce was actually now could be chosen by the people within the relationship more easily. And you had the sexual revolution and you had the feminist revolution. So you had so many confounding factors going on at the exact same time. Yeah. And then you also had a restructuring of the law of divorce in the late 80s. And so that made it easier to get divorced. So you saw another spike. Mm-hmm. So, so confa- if you add to that the fact that the birth control pill was also created, so people who didn't get married because they didn't get pregnant, right? So marriage went down. Also, um, you know, we get married later in life now, which actually is related to relational success, right. which makes sense because shit. If I chose a relationship at nineteen, I'm much better at choosing them Ooh. today. I don't know if I speak for everybody, but that's certainly true for me. Certainly for me as well. Um, yeah, and now we have, you know, love is is absolutely part of marriage, and you know, love. Marriage was not where we sought love; that was through affairs. Right. So when you look at the history of marriage, love was not part of the history of marriage till the 19th and 20th century. So wow. marriage was a systemic thing. So if we could see that as, as we're like taking something that we're saying the institution is falling apart. Yeah. The institution is not falling apart. The system, which did provide stability, but you lived till you were 40, right? Yeah. So, you know, I heard Esther Perel speak a couple of weeks ago and yeah, she said that the long run keeps getting longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. Right. So we have these models of relationship like our great grandparents, right? Our grandparents. And they say, when I was your age, we didn't just throw love away. Right. Well, first off, you could only catch a ride a horse to find a partner. So <laughs> your geography of access was pretty small. Yeah. The other thing is you couldn't ride a horse to five different chicks' houses. You could only commit to one because right. you didn't have a cell phone and you had a dad who was going to blow your head off with a shotgun waiting for you. So 
you know, I remember talking to this when I was like, you don't know what it's like to have to call a girl's house and have her dad answer like that. You don't have that. You get to just text her directly, you know, and that's a totally different world. So I don't necessarily think we're disconnected now. I actually think we're more connected than we've ever been. Mm. But I think in that diversity of connection, it's kind of like if you don't use it in a way where it's using you, that causes a really big issue. And, and what I mean by that is when you feel the pull to the addiction of your phone, to the like buttons, to the dopamine rush, it's now become a tool that is using you. Sure. And it's, it's in essence kind of true about something like Tinder, right? Or, or Bumble where people go, I'm not using an app like that. It's so superficial. Right. Humans are fucking superficial. Right. Like, all, the reason those apps are so successful is because it's exactly what we do when we're in the line at Starbucks. Yeah. We are swiping left and right with people. Yeah. We're just not actually like pushing them into the bushes. You know, right. we're like, <laughs> there's like, oh, enough with you. <laughs> Get out um, of my life. So we're doing that anyways, but it allows it, us to do it in a very quick um, fashion. And it does make connection very disposable. Yeah. But you could also argue that you get to sort through more. So when you actually find it, you get to be more discerning about your choice. So it's kind of like if I gave you a hammer, you can build a house or you can kill someone. So it's really about how you use the tool. And so I, I really come back to a lot of, are you feeling anxious about your connections? And if you have anxiety, then you're likely spread thin. Hmm. You know, and it's something to tap into because, you know, I was starting to get anxious and I remember one morning I picked up my phone and my anxiety hit me and I went, it's my phone. And I made a rule that before I turn it off airplane mode, I meditate now and I make coffee and I meditate and then I'm ready. And that now my phone is my fucking tool. I love that. And that's, that's actually shifted a lot for me. And that's a more reasonable, that's a more recent change for me. That's fantastic. I love that. So I think it isn't about disconnection so much as it is, is like, where are you finding your connection? And mm -hmm. I think it's easy to um, get yourself worth from your Facebook page or your Instagram, you know, yeah. and I know exactly what post could get more likes than any post. Yeah. And that's any post about female empowerment. I could literally post Nayira Wahid's poem, someone meet you on the bridge, mm -hmm. you know, you know, which one yeah, I'm talking about. For sure. And that I guarantee will destroy every time. Yeah. Anything about female empowerment will destroy. But I don't do that because I, I, my commitment is to post things that resonate with my heart and to change one life Beautiful. with one post. And that's it. And then that way, my metric isn't likes, it isn't comments, it isn't. Because if I seek to use any tool in order to gain love, yeah then I will now, it will be in charge of how I feel. Yes. Talk about giving your power away. Yeah. And that's like a learned negotiation. Yeah. You know, and I, I think for most of us, the, the transition, as I said, of like understanding what is evolutionary versus what is good for you. Yeah. The real transition comes from in relationship comes from if they don't choose me, will I still love me? Mm. And that is the breaking away of evolution, which is if your society or your culture or your tribe or your family doesn't love you, you're dead. Right. And so we are naturally conditioned to seek our self-worth self through the love of others. Yes. And so it makes sense. You know, we're all in this 
huge transition where you can date someone and meet someone from New York if you live in LA. Yeah. But you couldn't do that before. Right. So so now you have this opportunity to find family that isn't just blood. You know, because we're born to humans and humans are fucked sometimes. Yeah. You know, and 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 they're the children of other humans. Yes. And so the moment we can see like you don't have to change people. You don't have to fight for family to be family. You have to cultivate your own truth and choose for yourself. But it's so hard for our parents or our grandparents or great grandparents to even fathom what that means because they couldn't. Yeah. And their partner choice could have been from the farm next door. Yeah. Because that's what you did is you married the person at the farm next door. You married someone from another powerful family. And if you come from arranged marriage backgrounds, those often stayed within the same caste. Yeah. So, so even then, you know, the parents had to approve of the person who was asking. Yeah. Or the parents would ask for them. And so I just think we're in this really cool sort of rebellion. And then we're all part of this rebellion. And we're sort of confused as I was because it's like, wait, I was told to do this shit, but this shit doesn't fit today. Yeah. And then we have parents who are like, just do traditionally what we're going to do. And we'll all just live like we did when we moved to Canada from China or when we moved right. to you know, Europe from somewhere yeah. else, from the United States. Yeah. And you get to Europe and they go, you fucking Americans don't know what you're yeah. doing. You know, like, right. It doesn't matter where you go. There's a, a right way. And I, I don't think it's so much, I was thinking about this the other day that it's not so much how, what is the right structure of relationship. Right. Although I do think there's probably the one that we best thrive with. Um, it's about how do you want to love? Mm. What do you think is, uh, you said a moment ago about the structure of the relationship, what you think is potentially the best one. What do you think about like an open relationship or what do you think about, um, I don't know, different types of relationships? What do you align with? What do you think is the most healthy? Well, I think that, you know, for, as I said, it's like, find people who love like you do. So if you're naturally seeking an open relationship, I would always ask people to look for the intention truthfully yeah. below it. Um, and, and that's okay. I, I don't care what people choose. It doesn't matter to sure. me. Um, but for me, I think what's Im important to understand is that there's probably, you know, percentage wise, as many successful monogamous relationships as there are open relationships. Sure in that they all require an incredible level of communication and self-awareness. Yes. So I think that that's just often a rare experience. You know, we have to decide to take responsibility for ourselves in order to even do that. And most people don't want to take responsibility. Yeah. So I think the real question becomes like, like I see that people usually go to open relationships when they are feeling disconnected in their relationship or they're not feeling sexual connection or whatever it is. And usually the opening of the relationship is the tearing down of the sort of relationship and eventually they break up. Right. Or, and that's maybe they're afraid to hurt the person or maybe they don't know. And it's part of their exploration. Sure. It doesn't really sure. matter. But I guess the part that I see is most people turn to things like polyamory when they've been very hurt. Got it by monogamy. So then monogamy doesn't make sense. And Hey, don't get me wrong. Monogamy sometimes doesn't make yeah, sense. Completely. I mean, I, I see both sides. I mean, 
Like I I can see how both potentially could be successful for me. Like if I were to be in an open relationship, it would have to be like the exact dichotomy of what you're saying, where it's like, it's so trusting. It's so committed. It's so connected. It's so communicative, you know, that like potentially you're like, go be free, like (laughs) have fun, you know? Yeah. And I think what happens is a lot of people end up leaving their primary relationship, depending on the structure of their polyamory. They end up leaving their primary relationship and becoming monogamous with one of the people they were connected to. So it's interesting because it's sort of like a natural progression generally. Again, there's always going to be exceptions for anyone who's listening. Interesting. I love it. Yeah. So I find it's very fascinating how that usually works. And because, you know, you also have the chemical experience, which is, you know, you'll hear people say, well, I'm beyond jealousy. Like, that's why I'm in this open relationship. I've learned how. And I'm like, yeah, I would love to put yeah. an actual um, heart rate monitor yeah. on you and be able to actually see what your nervous system does when you find out that another dude banged your girlfriend right. or, right. Uh, you know, your boyfriend humped another right. chick. I gar- I will almost guarantee that the nervous system would be reactive. No, I'm sure. Oh, no. And so then I think, I guess what becomes, for me, it's always about connecting back to what is true for you and what are you authentically going through? Because, you know, I remember sitting in a coffee shop in Encinitas and some guy talking about his open relationship skills and how he could just hook up with chicks because he's more advanced and conscious than everyone else. And he's in a more conscious. And I was like, Oh my God, this guy's just a spiritual player. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? And it was like, he's just bypassing with spiritual language. Wow. No different than, you know, someone else who's uh, consciously, who is actually outwardly being promiscuous. Right. right. Just covering it up with the blanket of spirituality. Oh, of like, I'm going to align your root chakra with my dong, you know, it's all just (laughs) jargon. That is fucking hilarious. Um, So I got a few questions from people on on the gram for you. Okay. Sorry, I just went on a long dive. No, I'm super into it. Everything was so rich. Um, So one of the questions was, why do we lie to ourselves in relationships? And why are we afraid of actually admitting the truth. Like why, like why would we stay in a relationship for too long and just like pretend that it's okay? Well, denial is a very important survival mechanism. Um, You know, we're taught to deny what's reality as kids usually. Mm -hmm. And often we're also modeled on enduring. So if we had parents who like a mom or a dad or both stayed in a relationship till the kids turned 18 or, you know, that kind of thing. That's a model of enduring. We're going to endure this lack of connection and for other people. So you've been taught selflessness, right? Mm-hmm. But it, but there's something else that gets modeled there. If a kid goes through a childhood, or you, this can happen in school, this can happen as adults too, where they got bullied or where they were abused or you know any of these experiences where their parents were absent or they had a hyper-controlling parent, all, which is basically every childhood, right? Right, right. You know, all of, uh, everyone's going to have some aspect of those sure. things. Um, then we tend to disconnect from our pain because if we had to actually acknowledge that our pain is real and that our parents suck or, um, you know, mom and dad aren't happy, but they're staying for me, then we would have to, we'd have to hurt a lot. Mm, totally. And so there is a bit of a shame that we're avoiding 
you know, and there's a bit of reality that we're avoiding. And so when we're in relationships where let's say our partner's cheating or we feel disconnected or they're always lying or we're always lying, or if we were to actually call out what's real, we'd have to experience the shame and pain of what we're going through. Mm. So we tend to not, and we endure. And what we do is we then pick up addictions or we pick up outlets, I guess we could say. And those outlets become painful too for us. You know, it's really ironic to me when I think about it, that if we were to actually sit in pain, it would go away. Like if I was to actually pay attention to what was painful or choices I made, which I've had to do. I can use that pain and transmute it into growth. I can I can say like, wow, I, I got cheated on or I cheated and man, I really hurt people or I was really hurt. And the reason I got cheated on is I had really poor boundaries or the reason I cheated is because I was afraid of being loved or I was afraid of leaving the relationship. And right away, just that acknowledgement allows me to grow who I am as a human being. Yes. And so the pain now has purpose. My past becomes fuel for me to be a better human being. And that gives every part of our story reason. So now we can say, I don't need to change anything from my past because they've contributed to who I am. Um, So what happens is, is when we don't do that, we maintain a cycle of constant pain because we deny what's real. So we have to stay disconnected from what's real. So when we don't acknowledge the truth, we have to live in a world where the truth isn't real. Yeah. Well, to live in a world where the truth isn't real, you're going to hurt. And so what you're going to do to heal that, to try to to fix that hurt, is to get dopamine hits. You're going to try to fuck it away. You're going to try to drink it away. You're going to try to drug it away. You're going to try to over-control things. You're going to turn really deep to spirituality, really into food control, really into any addictions. Totally. And so all we do is we keep this cycle of pain, but we're numbing it. And what we don't see is that if we were to just turn towards it, you know, it's like that rooming quote, the, the, what is it? The way through the pain, the way to the pain is yes. in the pain, the, the pain is okay. in the pain, whatever. The love is in the pain. The truth is in oh the pain. God. That's it. It's you turn towards it and you actually transmute it and consume it. You know, someone said to me the other day, how do I get rid of my sadness? And I said, you don't, right. you feel it. Right. Wounds don't disappear. Wounds are your right. radar. It's just what you do with your wound that matters. And if you want to heal it, you got to feel it, you know. Exactly. So that's like that's that. where the alchemy is. Exactly. And that's – I love uh, Alan Watts. He's totally. one of my faves. And there's a, there's a part in one of his audios where he says, at some point you realize that when you wake up to conscious choice, you become the God you've been taught to praise. And I, although the the recovering Catholic in me loves the sacrilegious, the sacrilegious, the sacrilegious nature, whatever the word is, of that statement, what it really means is that when you actually take responsibility, you create the world you live in. Wow. And then you become a god of sorts, but, you know, not in the state of higher being, but I guess in the state of higher being, that now you see that your world is only a reflection of what you choose. That's why in really powerful boundaries say, I allow what I allow in. Right. And then of course your boundaries create wholeness because you are protected kind of by a force field of your own voice. Wow. That's why all this work is 
is so simple but so fucking scary. Oh my god. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so scary. scary and yet so imperative. You know, it's like I I fall under the jurisdiction that our our relationships are our teachers and you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of a fine line between like when when am I staying in something because I have stuff to learn versus when am I staying in something because I'm like codependent? <laughs> yeah, you know right. what I mean? Where is that line? Yeah, where is that line? Do you have any idea where that line is? <laughs> well, I think there's a part where we have to check in and, and feel like, am I abandoning myself for this? I don't think choosing anything should be abandonment of self. Mm. Um, but often, I think there's tricks of the mind, right? Like, like relationships are our greatest teachers. Absolutely. That's why I think there's such a beautiful access point because all of us will hit common rock bottoms in relationship. And if you want to acknowledge the things you're not good at, it will be very proven to you by how you respond, by who you choose, by, you know, all these different things. Yeah. I do think that once you get to a place where you choose a partner who's ready to face the world with you, where you're both actually open to looking at your bullshit together. Yeah then you can bypass, you can, you can move through a lot of things. I think that the conundrum to the human experience is that we're, there's a part of us that is very terrified of actually being loved, you know, because that has to dissolve the fear of, of that I'm not lovable. So to actually face the love of another and actually accept it is a tough thing, you know, because there's a part the, the unworthiness needs to dissolve. And I think the real challenge with that is for someone who's maybe more of the pursuer or the codependent side, which is trying to fix people, trying to pursue them. Yeah. Is often that is used as a distraction from actually having to face being chosen. Because if you see like someone is dating an alcoholic and the alcoholic gets sober all of a sudden, the person trying to fix the alcoholic has nothing to fucking do anymore. Right. And I say this with love. I, I mean this with absolute compassion. There's, of course, a lot of pain involved in being the person in relationship with an alcoholic. Of course. But if you've ever read the book Codependent No More, um, Melody Beattie, she yeah. says in it, I finally realized that I, why alcoholics drink so much is because the people they're with drive them fucking crazy. Because she was one of those people. It's a really beautiful book and how yes. she expresses it. And I really, I at least noticed when I was chasing very unavailable people or people who were just out of relationships, it was because I was so terrified if I actually let someone love me who really could choose me, I I would have to be worthy of it. I'd have to believe it. I'd have to face what can happen when you let someone love you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. And frankly, I'm kind of there right now. You know, I'm at this place, um, personally, I mean, I keep it super real on this podcast. I've been single technically for the last, like almost four years. Oh yeah. I did a four year stint. Yeah. And it's like three and a half years ago, my mom got diagnosed with stage four cancer. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's this part of me that's like, I don't know if I can deal with someone else coming in right now. Cause I already kind of got my hands full, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I want to open up to someone in that way, because like, if it doesn't work out, like I'll be fucking destroyed. 
you know, and I think that that's a huge, a huge part of why I'm, yeah, in this, in this little four year stint. And it's such an interesting, and I, of course, like I am a person with great self-awareness. So I, I see Mm -hmm. it and I'm like, oh, that's so interesting that this is like what you've chosen to do. (laughs) Well, it's it's interesting if you can bridge those two worlds where you can be aware of, of that fear yeah, and still open because that, that allows you not to be led by the fear because of course, I find that the answer to the question, when I let people love me, they. Hmm. And so what is your answer for that question, if you don't mind me asking? When I let people love me, they, the first thing that came to my mind was disappoint me. And it makes sense to that. So that's sort of what, and how do they disappoint you? Not showing up all the way. Like I, I go in really hard you know, and I like dive into a relationship. I'm a Scorpio. I'm super intense. I am a Scorpio too. Yeah. Oh, yay. When's your birthday? November 10th. I'm November 20th. I oh, love nice. that. Yes. You know, we're just intense creatures. I'm, I'm, um, I love really hard and I guess maybe just in my previous relationships and no offense to, I'm friends with all my exes. So no offense guys. <laughs> um, but like, I feel like there was a level of disappointment, like, oh, is this it? Because of how they didn't show up as much. Correct. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I find that whatever our answer is to that question is the thing we're avoiding, right? So yeah. we might pick people who can't. We might not ever actually express what our true needs are. Yeah. And and the you know also the fact that your mom got sick. You know, it can be like when I really love people or I let them love me, they get sick. Sure. Right. Or people have had parents who've passed. When I let people love me, they die. Sure. So we sort of like avoid opening up because of this perceived outcome. And it's not dissimilar to like if you've ever been in a car accident, if you ever drive a car again, for the first bit especially, you're quite cautious. Or if someone hits the brakes, you sort of react. Oh, yeah. And it's the same idea is that we have a a template, a trauma sort of template, and it's the same idea as PTSD, that that then we are avoiding that experience. But but I find, at least as someone who also identifies as an empath or someone who loves hard, is if we can guide ourselves through that process with great boundaries, then no one can really, at the end, of course, we can be disappointed by people or we can be let down by people. Yeah. But we will never let ourselves down. And totally. whether someone shows up for me or not, I will always love me. Yes. And that is a really interesting place to get to in a relationship where you can look at someone and say, whether you choose me or not, I will always love you. Yeah. And that's so where I am as well with myself. I'm just like, I I so enjoy my own company these days. <laughs> you know, like I, I do, I just it's a beautiful place to be that I don't feel the need necessarily. Although I do feel the want. Well, yeah. And maybe that's the drive of like, well, now you've done that work and it's time to open up and invite someone into that space. Because of course, being independent and taking care of yourself and having your own needs met can also be quite a wall to allowing people in. Yeah. No, I see that too. I've certainly done that. So, you know, I say that having done it. Oh yeah. No, I don't. I, totally hear that. And I think this is, there's just so much truth in what you're saying. I'm so inspired and, and wow, just thank you for that. Um, another question someone had 
um, was how do we learn to open up to to people about things that are like really personal, like I just did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, How do we learn? Well, I think there's so many things at play there. One is leaning into sharing vulnerable things that we're terrified of actually sharing. So part of it has to happen by actually doing. Mm. And I think the other part is doing it and not expecting a certain type of reply. Sure. You know, because if you go in, I'm going to share this really deep thing and they are going to hear me properly and they're going to respect it and love it. Yeah. And they're going to give me the right answer. But you don't know that's true. So I know for me that sharing my truth is more, is not for their response. It's for me to share my truth. Mm. And yeah. so that way I've disconnected the outcome from determining how I feel about myself. Mm. It doesn't mean that, you know, I share something and someone isn't like, I don't like what you just said. Yeah. And I can hear that feedback. But at the same time, the fact that I said it is the work. Yeah. It's like the expectations will fuck you up every single time. Yes. Yes. Especially because if we share something that you see this in sort of like, there's a difference between vulnerability and oversharing. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people will emotionally dump on people. Yes. And overshare all these big dramatic things about their life in like the first fucking date. Right. And then they'll be like, see, I'm too much for people. Right, right. <laughs> because it just becomes this redundancy of the story they live by. I hear this. A lot of people will say, well, I'm just blunt. That's who I am. And I'm like, well, that doesn't preclude you from responsibility of language. Completely. Yes. But that's the only way they've known how to be heard. Got it. So it's it's really, I think, is is learning how to open up is beginning to open up, but not doing it where the other person has the responsibility of deciding whether you get to open up or not. Yeah, absolutely. Which, hey, that could be challenging because there are some people who are just assholes. You know? Completely. Oh, my God. I don't, don't choose assholes because that might be the redundancy of your story is yeah. no one can actually hear who I am and how I feel. Yeah. See how you might actually be choosing people who do that because they repeat a story you're used to. Oof. Mark, my God. Yes, totally. Absolutely. I know I'm thinking of circumstances in my own life. This was, this was not my question actually, but I was thinking <laughs> about, I was thinking about people, um, that I've dated or whatever. And it's true. Like sometimes you do say something personal and it's just like brick wall. And yeah, I mean, that's, there is a difference between them just being a dick which you <laughs> learn to you you figure out or you know yeah oversharing and it you got it it's like i have like visions of what you're talking about right now it's so so rich so good well i think people need to understand that a lot of we can gain power from our wounds yes you know and i i've said this before on instagram like even the names people give themselves on instagram sure. like you know i think of mandy hale like the single woman yeah. Ooh, are you always going to be the single woman? Yeah. Like now it's part of your identity, right. you know, like recovered from narcissists or whatever. I've seen those. And oh, it's I've like, seen that too. Yeah. do you want to be that? Like, yeah. like I get it. And there's a beautiful message to be shared from yeah. those experiences. But you know, when someone goes right to their previous alcoholism or right to what they've been through, wounds can also be a very powerful thing Yeah, in that they make people automatically have empathy for us. And we might be seeking and creating connection from our pain, which is a, a, a bad reward cycle because then we will use pain and struggle in order to get empathy and connection. 
And that becomes where we get stuck. And that's why we might never be able to let go of our pain because it becomes the source of how we connect to other people. But maybe we don't keep friendships for long or people end up being pushed away because they're always in a supportive position. Right. And all this stuff is just so important to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And what role we play in that and how we fit in and what feels safe for us automatically versus, you know, it's like, and I, I'm sure that you have, and I guess I shouldn't project that onto you. Perhaps you have experience with this where because you are such an amazing, you know, coach and empath and, um, teacher and leader that you do kind of, I don't know if you feel like this, but I certainly do in my own world where you feel like that's kind of the role that you take on in certain relationships. Oh Um, yeah. And yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like that's tough. Well, that's why I look at it of like, (laughs) no one can actually move towards you if you don't give them space. Right. You know, and I learned a lot of this with Kylie of, of my relationship with Kylie for people who don't know, that's my partner's name. Yes. That like I'm in the trenches with everyone. So whenever I'm speaking about anything and I have a deep passion for it, it's because I've fucking done it, (laughs) you know, or I've been on the other side of it. Yeah. And so it's really being able to like, I saw that I've chased so many women um, who never wanted to be caught. And when I dealt with some avoidance from Kylie as a partner and I was able to finally say to her, like, I don't know how you could move towards me when I've not given you space to move into. And so it was really about me relearning my relationship to space with another human being and seeing that if I took a step back and I allowed her to expand and be herself and do all those things that we start to realize that I really think this is the balance of relationship is how do you be yourself and hold on? to who you are yes, and be in love. And that, to me, that is everything, is how do you maintain separateness and togetherness? Yes. And I I think, you know, in Esther Perel's language, she talks about that love and desire are always at odds. You know, that love needs closeness and and safety and desire needs distance and mystery. And I, 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 that didn't really work for me fully. I think it's really that, Desire and freedom are at odds. And, and that how do you m- hold boundaries around your identity and not do what your parents did or not do what people have done in the past where they gave up everything right. for a relationship? Right. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah. And that's why we, when we are about to be loved, we often have the best sabotage techniques. Right. Or we just pick people who could never really pick us in the current context. Right. Wow. Wow. Mark, you're rocking my world. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I just looked at the clock and it's already been 50 minutes. So I think we have to start to wrap it up, which makes me okay. like equally it. sad, but also like you have a life and I have a life and we got <laughs> shit to do. Um, okay. So this whole podcast really started because I, I wanted to connect to people who are doing epic shit in the world. Right? Well, I appreciate it. Oh that. my God. 100%. And, and you are 100% uh, in that category, but I want to know what your definition of an epic life is. What does that look like in just a few sentences? I think my definition for that currently would be to have compassion 
and openness for where you've come from mm. so that you can experience all the deliciousness of your past and move forward with flexibility to know that you might choose something today that isn't actually constructive for you moving forward, mm. but to continue to live with openness and forgiveness and expansion. And I think an epic life is living on your edge is always moving towards you, something that you've never experienced, a love that you've never reached wow. because then you're always expanding to always do things you're, you're afraid of. And that, that to me is the epic life is to, is to do what's not predictable anymore. That is so beautiful. Thank you for that. Okay. Rapid fire round. I'm just going to ask you this or that. And I want you to answer which one's your jam. Okay. All right. I'm in. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Oh, extrovert more. Sex or sleep? Sexy sleep. Sex or sleep. <laughs> Sexy sleep. Oh, I like it. Sex I like it. Sex and sleep. Uh, sleep <laughs> exactly. sex. I like both of those orders. Great. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Um, bourbon or wine? Wine. Uh, New York or L.A.? Oh, that's a – I'm going to have to split. Oh, man. I'd say New York. I, I'm kind of with you. Um, and I live in Los Angeles, so I <laughs> um, figure that one out. Ebook or hard copy? Hard copy. Shower or bath? Shower. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Oh, the nutritional side of me wants dark, but let's be honest. Fucking milk for days. I know. I'm so with you on that too. Phone call or text? Phone call. Amen. Intelligence or humor? Oh man, intelligent humor. There we go. They're the same. Yeah, totally. I feel you. Money or fame? God, I don't really care about either, but I like money. Let's take money. Yeah. Money's nice. Money's nice. Okay, Mark, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you as an amazing teacher, such a beautiful speaker. I have enjoyed connecting to you so much right now. Um, and every, literally every single day on Instagram, I love seeing what you post, your authenticity, your truth, what you share with people, your talks, your Instagram lives. They're incredible. How can we connect to you? Where can we find you? Where can we see you in the real world? I want to hear about the summit real quick. Where, where can we find you? Thank you for that. First off, um, I'm receiving truth. that. I appreciate that. Um, so you can find me on, I have a website, markgroves.tv, like television, um, and create the love on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, easy to find me, Mark Groves. I have a YouTube channel where I post most of my Instagram lives and stuff like that. Um, and videos that I just do randomly. Um, and my, oh yeah, the summit is on July 14th and 15th in Vancouver. It's actually going to sell out for certain um, we just launched it a month ago, or not even two weeks ago, and it's already th- two thirds sold. So Whoa. I'm excited about that. And there's epic speakers. It's called Masters of the Universe Summit. You can look at more information at motusummit.com, m o t u summit.com, and there's also an Instagram called Motu Summit. And it's just like 220 people. There's that's the only amount of seats. It's in a theater in Granville Island, and the idea of creating it was I wanted to be able to create a community for people to find other people who think the way we all want to think, who live the way we all want to live, who I just wanted to take people and put them on stage who could share their own pain and struggle and how they found mastery in certain areas of life. Yes. And and because that's been so imperative for me is to align myself with teachers 
Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited about it. And you guys, please do check it out. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's been so much fun. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. What an absolute gift. Uh, please do connect to me. I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, um, social media in general at Alexa Silvaggio. And if you do have a second, I would be super grateful if you left us a review on iTunes. Why? Well, because that actually makes us more visible to everyone. And I'm all about spreading the good stuff, right? Spreading the goods, getting the word out because I want us all to benefit. I want us all to feel good. I want us all to thrive. So this is your gentle reminder, my love to go out there and create an epic life. All my love. Hold up. 